Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Dive views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, Jam Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. is a live public affairs and news program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia.
preaching voice that violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teacherly.org and help stop violence before it starts. Brought to you by Preachers Without Violence and the Ad Council. Close your eyes in Chicago and you can hear the sound of zebra braying in Africa. Look hard out your window in D.C., and you can see the snow-covered peaks of the Andes. The world is that small. We are that connected. Please visit earthshare.org and learn how the world's leading environmental groups are working together. Earthshare, one environment, one simple way to care for it all. A public service message from Earthshare and the Ad Council. You take the family to the food court. Your wife and Pete head for tacos. You and Danny want Chinese. You look up at the menu. You look down to see what Danny wants. But you don't see Danny. Danny! Every parent knows that feeling. Imagine if you were actually abducted. To receive free Amber Alerts on your cell phone, go to wirelessamberalerts.org. A child is calling for help. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The First Amendment reads, The people shall not be deprived of their right to speak. The odds are the person you just heard is an African-American. Because African-Americans are twice as likely to suffer a stroke as white Americans. That's twice as likely a stroke could rob you of the freedom to speak your mind. Help beat the odds. Call 1-888-4-STROKE or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Another Sunday night of Nation Talk. Tonight, we're going to talk about North Korea. Who's bad? North Korea or the U.S.? Also have Marie. We're going to talk about this letter from William Barber, letter to the clergy. We got blank on blank news of the week. Held and farewell to Glenn Campbell, who passed away this past week. Thank you. 
Nikki Haley, the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, joins us now. Ambassador Haley, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. I, I want to talk about this American now being detained in North Korea in a second, but when you take that incident, Madam Ambassador, and you combine it with a threat to sink a U.S. aircraft carrier and a threat to conduct a nuclear strike against Australia, when you and your counterparts meet at the White House this morning, what can you possibly come up with to rein in North Korea that hasn't been tried in the past and hasn't already failed in the past? Well, I think what you're seeing is, um, you know, Kim Jong-un is starting to flex his muscles because he feels the pressure. Last week, the Security Council unanimously condemned what North Korea is doing with their testing. China has been considerably helpful in putting pressure on him. And I think he's just trying to show his strength to the people of his country. But we've been talking about containing work. North Korea for decades now, and it's not working. What new can you come up with? Well, working with China for the first time, they have really been our partner in trying to make sure that we hold him at bay. And I think it's a new day when you've got China and the United States working together on a statement to condemn North Korea. They've put pressure on him. He feels it. That's why he's responding this way. And I think it is a different day. What we have said from the beginning and what I'll continue to say is the United States is not looking for a fight. So don't give us a reason to have one. It's interesting that you say that because you said that you think he's responding to the pressure by flexing muscle by conducting more nuclear tests. I don't have to tell you, you have a very unstable adversary there. Does the tough talk and the rhetoric, things like from, Ms. from Mr. Trump saying, if China doesn't help us here, we'll do it ourselves. We may consider a preemptive strike coming from administration officials. Do you ever worry about the point of no return with words? Well, I think no, it's, that's not the case. And keep in mind, he's just trying to get the confidence of his own people. So when he does these things, he's not necessarily doing them to all of us he's, as much as he's trying to prove to his own people he can handle this. He's very much feeling the pressure. I think you're starting to see him get very paranoid. And I think you're seeing pressure come from all parts of the international community. Although, and I think we just have to keep the pressure up. I think what Savannah's getting at, Madam Ambassador, is when you have someone who is as unstable, seemingly, as Kim Jong-un, do you worry that words might force him into a catastrophic mistake? No, and I think if you look at what is happening now, if there's a catastrophic mistake, it's going to be because he's just continuing to try and instigate an issue. We're going to continue to be stable. We're going to continue to have the international community stable. It's the reason why none of us are even trying to pick a fight with him. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. What I can tell you is the international community right now is very united. Ambassador Haley, every single leader says all options are on the table. They always say that. Is the preemptive strike against North Korea really being considered? Is the administration actively planning for that? We are not going to do anything unless he gives us reason to do something. So our What's goal that is reason? not to start a fight. What would that well, reason I mean, be? Do you have that threshold in your mind? Well, I think, you know, if you see him attack a military base, if you see some sort of intercontinental ballistic missile, then obviously we're going to do that. But right now we're saying don't test, don't use nuclear missiles, don't try and do any more actions. And I think he's understanding that. And I China's just, helping us really put that pressure Let on. me just make sure I understand what you just said. If he tests another intercontinental ballistic missile, if he were to test another nuclear device, when you say obviously we're going to do that, do you mean military retaliation? I think then the president steps in and decides what's going to happen. Right, let me just ask you real quickly before I leave, do you have any more information on this American being detained, his whereabouts, or why he was detained? 
it's very hard to get information out of North Korea, obviously, but we're doing everything that we can. Um, you know, this makes three detainees that they have right now. And again, this is him trying to pick a fight with us. And what we're going to have to do is work very hard to find out information and see what we need to do to get these three out safely. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Ambassador Haley, it's always nice to see you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thanks so much. Hello, today, fans. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking that button down there and click on any of the videos over here to watch the latest interviews, show highlights, and digital exclusives. Is Korea bad enough, big enough, to wipe us off the planet? Good question. Wish I had an answer to that. which I don't. Here's some more uh, audio on uh, how North Korea is going to muscle us and I shoot another missile. Let's see. Let's see. What else here? It's time for... Is, is it the time... Is the time for talk against Korea, North Korea over? The question. Meantime, the time for talk is over. UN Ambassador Nikki Haley sending a clear message to North Korea following the rogue regime's latest nuclear test. China and Russia also putting their own military might on display, looking to catch Washington's attention. So is the time for talk really over? Joining us now, Hudson Institute fellow and national security expert, Rebecca Heinrichs. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. So let's begin with this latest North Korea missile launch, the longest in the history of the rogue regime, we're told. It uh, went, what, uh, 2,300 miles into space. It flew for 45 minutes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, this is the North Koreans have been trying to get to perfect this capability for many years. And every time, you know, they. they Okay. 
here's what I think. Mm-hmm. North Korea is going to try that. It's going to probably going to try to uh, shoot another missile. something happens where it blows up on the launch pad or it's not a successful test. There's been so many people in the think tank world uh, or the intelligence community that says that, you know, they're just not that good at building rockets. But what they've been doing is every time they have a failed test, they take that technology, they take those mistakes and they apply them and then they get it right the next time. And so we have been watching them just march towards this capability. Now they have the capability, many of us believe, to reach the entire United States. That's Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, all the way spanning the whole United States with a nuclear-capable ICBM if they can get that nuclear warhead um, on, on the missile. So, uh, you know, we've been watching it happen. It's been mm-hmm. happening over the years, and we haven't done anything. We haven't done enough to stop the program. And, you know, we've been talking about this, you and I, over the past uh, several weeks, and one of the things that has been discussed is more pressure on China uh, because China has the most power over North Korea in terms of uh, sanctions and trade. Here's what President Trump had to say, that he's disappointed in what China has Uh, The tweet actually said, I am very disappointed in China. Our foolish past leaders have allowed them to make hundreds of billions of dollars a year in trade, yet they do nothing for us with North Korea. They just talk. We will no longer allow this to continue. China could easily solve this problem. And you've said the same thing. Yeah, he's right. You know, China can't trade with China for North Korea accounts for 90% of North Korea's trade. Um, If there wasn't for trade with with China, North Korea would have no money to spend on its nuclear program and its missile program. Remember, this is a country, North Korea, that's willing to starve its own people. It has prison camps so large you can see them from space. They repress their their regime. Um, That's not the money isn't going anywhere other than their illicit missile program. So China is the one that has the most if not the only leverage over North Korea right now, apart from a credible threat of force from the United States. And we Mm -hmm. do not want to go the military route to handle this problem. It would be tragic. Um, And so we really need China to squeeze North Korea, and so we have to squeeze China through secondary sanctions. That's something we have seen. We saw China uh, display this uh, military force in this parade celebrating the 90th anniversary of the the People's Liberation Army. We also saw Russia do a similar thing, uh, celebrating their annual Navy Day. But you say those shows of strength uh, mean nothing if there's nothing to back it up. That's true. Um, both, both of these countries, they, they conduct these massive shows of force is what they're called. And they're meant to intimidate. They're meant to actually, um, you know, demonstrate their capabilities. Uh, but, and the United States does them too. You know, the United States conducts these wargaming exercises, these shows of force with NATO. Um, and that's to actually show um, our adversaries that, that the United States can meet them and actually dominate them if it does come to, to use of force. But the Trump administration has to do something different than what the Obama administration did. And that back up talk with action. Um, and so we cannot just continue to talk, to talk tough. I think Nikki Haley was right when she says the time for talk is over when it comes to North Korea. We cannot just say that we condemn um, yeah. you know, these illicit activities. We actually have to back that up with sanctions. We have to back that up, again, with a credible threat of force so that our adversaries know that we mean it and we're not just, um, you know, we're not just all talk. Right. When you, when you talk about that red line, hold to it. Uh, Rebecca Heinrich, thank you so much for joining us. appreciate your insight as always. Now, here's what the president said 
opioid crisis is an emergency, and I'm saying officially right now it is an emergency. It's a national emergency. We're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of money on the opioid crisis. We're going to draw it up, and we're going to make it a national emergency. Uh, it is a serious problem, the likes of which we have never had. You know, when I was growing up, they had the LSD, and they had certain generations of drugs. There's never been anything like what's happened to this country over the last four or five years. And I have to say this, in all fairness, this is a worldwide problem, not just a United States problem. This is happening worldwide. But this is a national emergency, and we are drawing documents now to so attest. Okay. That was a news conference he had. He was firing questions at him. He did answer, answer the question about um, about North Korea. Now, four-star general Donald Trump's North Korea threat was a real blunder. Check this out.
criticism of the New York Times, the Washington Post, Amazon, fake polls, fake news media, and the Clintons. By afternoon, though, he had used superheated cataclysmic language as a counter threat to North Korea, and then by dinnertime, North Korea was threatening to attack Guam. NBC News confirms the U.S. now believes North Korea has the capacity to put a nuclear weapon on a missile. And while there is not consensus on this, the Defense Intelligence Agency, for one, believes they have achieved the miniaturization of a nuclear weapon. It's important to note here, NBC News says, the latest advance does not mean North Korea has a nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missile, according to a U.S. official briefed on the intelligence assessment. The Washington Post was the first to report this story, and of course, following the North's recent missile test, the fear is they could soon produce a working ICBM with guidance enough to be capable of hitting U.S. population centers. Then this afternoon, the president hosted a session at the opi on the opioid challenge at his Bedminster, New Jersey golf resort. He appeared ready for a question from the press on North Korea, and he answered it. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury. Like the world has never seen. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power the likes of which this world has never seen before. Thank you. Hours after that, the North Koreans threatened a missile attack on Guam. For those not familiar with Guam, it's a U.S. territory, population 168,000 U.S. citizens. There are roughly 12,000 U.S. military and their dependents, family members. Roughly a third of the island is a U.S. military base. This genuine overseas threat comes at a low point in terms of public trust in this president. And just today, there were new poll numbers from CBS News on this very issue. Just 35% of Americans say they're confident in Trump's ability to handle the situation with North Korea's nuclear program. 61%, 6 in 10, say they are uneasy about it. North Korea was a problem when Trump walked into the White House when he was still a candidate last year, he did not seem to want to get involved, saying North Korea was Japan's problem and they should take care of it. case could be made that let them protect themselves against North Korea. They'd probably wipe them out pretty quick. And if they fight, you know what? That would be a terrible thing. Terrible. Good luck. Folks, enjoy yourself. So North Korea has nukes. Japan has a problem with that. I mean, they have a big problem with it. Maybe they would, in fact, be better off if they defend themselves from North Korea. Maybe with they nukes. would be better off including with nukes, yes, including with nukes. And
Now here is what he has said about North Korea since becoming president. First thing I brought up was North Korea. Now he then explains thousands of years of history with Korea. Not that easy. In other words, not as simple as people would think. As far as North Korea is concerned, we are uh, in very good shape. Whether we want to talk about it or not, North Korea is a big world problem. It's a problem we have to finally solve. It should have been handled by President Obama. It should have been handled by uh, other presidents in the past. All options are on the table. That I can say. I wish we would have... with respect to North Korea from China, but that doesn't seem to be working out. The year of strategic patience with the North Korean regime has failed. As far as North Korea is concerned, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't like to talk about what I have planned. We'll handle North Korea. We're going to be able to handle them. They'll be... Uh... It will be handled. We handle everything. Then there's this. Perhaps the most sobering quote of the evening came during an interview with a nuclear expert, the head of a global security foundation. He was interviewed on the Rachel Maddow program earlier tonight. The seriousness of this situation cannot be overestimated, not because North Korea could hit, hit us in a bolt-out-of-the-blue attack that could take out Los Angeles or Seattle. No. What you're worried about is that you have two insecure, inexperienced, impulsive leaders in control of a vast amount of destructive force squaring off in the most heavily militarized area on Earth. They are blowing through this president's red lines like tissue paper. What is Trump going to do now? That got our attention for good reason. And with that, let's bring in tonight's starting panel, NBC News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent Andrea Mitchell, retired four-star U.S. Army General Barry McCaffrey, an MSNBC military analyst with experience in government and military matters throughout the world, and Malcolm Nance, a 35-year intelligence veteran, including with Naval Intelligence, Special Operations, and Homeland Security, also happens to be an MSNBC analyst. So, Andrea, you have covered this on and off for some time. Uh, what about the president's words, if anything, uh, struck you as coordinated, uh, uh, vetted, uh, planned, and then The second part of the question is, how do you de-escalate from where he put this thing this afternoon? Well, that is a harder question, isn't it? He seemed to be reading from notes. I, uh, that was the only indication that this was planned. But planned by whom? Not by General Mattis. I'm, I'm just confident of that. 
I know that he has said publicly that any kind of military option would be catastrophic. I know how he has briefed people on Capitol Hill in classified briefings. I've gotten some readouts from that. And I don't believe this came from H.R. McMaster or from John Kelly. I don't know who other than Steve Bannon might have given the president those words. How do you pull back from that kind of A red line. Uh, it's really extraordinary. Look, the B-1 bomber has been flying out of Guam continuously for a month now since that first ICBM was launched. And North Korea wasn't happy about it. There were some statements, but nothing like the threat against Guam. I think that's an empty threat, but it certainly is a rhetorical response to President Trump tonight. Um, and we've got to find some way to de-escalate de this. Malcolm, this is why we keep saying credibility matters. Let's start uh, with the Letter A, do you believe the intelligence um, that kicked this whole thing off today? You know, I've seen several escalations of, you know, rhetoric like this that occurred over the last 20 years, most notably the run-up to the war in Iraq, uh, it always starts off with intelligence. And this particular intelligence assessment that we've seen in the Post today is peculiar, only because six months ago the assessment was that North Korea couldn't miniaturize that warhead for two years. About a month ago, that was accelerated to uh, early next year, about six months to nine months out. Now we're at zero hour, where they believe that it has already been done. This came from Defense Intelligence Agency, which their principal collection process is going to be imagery intelligence. It's possible North Korea may have done this, and they have very good intelligence. It's also possible North Korea may have placed in their line of sight uh, imagery which would or, you know, a device which could look like that, and now they're accelerating their assessment, or it could be, uh, you know, a, a, a miscalculation. Either way, if this is true, there has already been an intelligence failure on this point. General McCaffrey, when you're on, we often talk about the generals surrounding this president, uh, names like Mattis, Kelly, and McMaster. Do you think, given your experience, they glanced at or had any knowledge of the language the president was going to use this afternoon in Bedminster? Not a chance. Uh, I don't know who, the president might have jotted those notes himself. Uh, it might have been somebody around him, but that was never signed off on after a top secret coordinated telephone call among government agencies. Look, Jim Mattis, fortunately, is a thoughtful, stable guy with tremendous experience. I'm sure right now he's reaching out to his military contacts throughout the world. Uh, Kelly's in the, the same type, kind of person. Uh, Love Nation talk right after this.
garbage. The beautiful ocean be full of it these days. Many of folk don't know that when they throw their trash on the ground, it eventually makes its way into the ocean. So lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. And learn more what you can do to keep the ocean healthy at KeepOceansClean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Violence, theft, drugs, graffiti, it's all part of joining a gang. In times like these, we need to protect our kids and our community from gangs. Gangs often prey on teens with low self-esteem who perform poorly in school and who seek a sense of belonging. Protect kids from gangs. Know who they're hanging out with. Encourage them to become involved in school activities. Give kids a positive alternative to gangs. To learn more, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But, but then, then right, right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself and her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Where the bit... You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views of P and the Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, Jam Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
then. It was labeled as part of the axis of evil, quite famously, uh, by George W. Bush. Do you agree with the senator in, in, in how he compared this to a, a modern Cuban missile crisis? I think we need to calm this down a little bit. Chris, this is not an existential crisis. It's not something that we can't handle that the North Koreans, in fact, and the South Koreans, our allies on the peninsula, can't handle. But we do need to get away from this kind of grandiose rhetoric that Donald Trump used today. This is like Donald Trump looking in a mirror. Fury indeed. No American president could escape that. 
We had this same crisis in 1994. I was on the peninsula in 94. Mm -hmm. I was there with the commander in Korea. I was there with Bill Perry when he was over there, Clinton's middle secretary of defense. We negotiated, and it led to the agreed framework, and we froze their most dangerous nuclear program at the time, the reprocessing plant at Yongbyon. That's what we need to do again. We need to talk, and we need to be able, as Bill Perry has pointed out, and willing to offer something. Like the exercises in August, we could offer that we would cancel those exercises or postpone them in exchange for a cancellation of ballistic missile testing or nuclear testing or both. This is the way we need to deal with this. Both sides need to calm down, and we need to talk. You know, it's interesting you say that about negotiation, success in negotiation, because I feel the image that's projected often is that everything has failed, every approach, that you can't get anywhere negotiating with North Korea. It sounds like you're saying you don't believe that's true. Don't believe it at all, and my whole life has been since 1953, when I was about nine years old, has been a proof of that because we haven't had a war on the peninsula. Uh, we had a peace treaty in 53, and not a peace treaty, but we had a ceasefire in 53 and an armistice, and we've had the DMZ ever since, and now we have a situation once again that looks like it might could bring war back. The way we've solved that in the past is by talking. People say we can't talk with a criminal regime. Those are the regimes you need to talk to. John Kennedy said it best. You should never negotiate out of fear, but you never should fear to negotiate. Uh, Tillerson has said that more or less, as has Mattis. We need to get to it, and we need to curb this president who seems to think that he's negotiating the Taj Mahal or some other casino <laughs> with Steve Wynn. There is an infrastructure around the President of the United States, a, a chain of command, a massive national security apparatus that we think of as kind of constraining or binding the power of the President of the United States, and yet at the same time he does have the unilateral power to, to fire nuclear weapons to initiate a, a, a strike. How confident are you in the basic supporting structure around the President to navigate this crisis? Up until about the last three weeks, I was fairly confident. I was confident that the institutional fabric we developed since 1947 would, in fact, encumber this president to the point where he couldn't do anything insane. I'm no longer that comfortable. I think we're in trouble. I think we're in big trouble. And I think the kind of rhetoric we've seen out of Donald Trump in the last few weeks indicates that trouble. Um, I'm really worried. You, you witnessed, worked for different administrations, watched different presidents and diplomats operate. How out of the how anomalous were was the tenor of the president's comments today? Incredibly out of character for the greatest power in the world. And let's look at something else, Chris. Right now, our tacit ally, India, and China, the second greatest power in the world right now, are on the border, ready to go to war, a hundred meters apart. Not only that, China's built a corridor through uh, Kashmir making Kashmir look as if it's more amenable to Pakistan's uh, uh, sovereignty, if you will, than India's. We've got a real problem there. In 2002, Colin Powell had to go and deal with Musharraf in Islamabad and the Indian president in Delhi, and they had to talk to him in order to avert a, a, a nuclear exchange between those two powers. We're not even looking at that right now. We're letting so much go by the way because we're concentrating on Trump's rhetoric. All right, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, it's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're still talking about Trump and North Korea. Naomi Terry uh, is now a senior research scholar at the Columbia University Weatherhead East Asian Institute. 
She was a career intelligence officer. She served at the National Intelligence Council and in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. She was the Director for Korea, Japan, and Oceanic Affairs at the National Security Council. For years, she was also a senior analyst on Korean issues at the CIA and a senior linguist at the CIA. Dr. Terry joins us tonight for the interview because she is exactly the person I want to talk to. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate your time. Um, let me ask you about a concern that I raised at the top of the show tonight that um, I am totally willing and able to hear you tell me I'm completely off base about. Okay. I just want to tell you my concern. I feel like we've seen this radical change in behavior from our own president over the last 72 hours that appears to be based on this Washington Post report that came out on Tuesday, which cited a defense intelligence agency finding, which we have not seen, but it was reported by the Post, which said that the DIA believes that North Korea can miniaturize a nuclear weapon. DIA is the only intelligence agency who has been cited as having that finding. They also said that four years ago, when apparently it wasn't true. Other intelligence agencies aren't coming out and saying, yes, we have also studied this and this is our finding too. Other countries aren't coming out and saying that's our finding too. I'm troubled that this is a huge change in American policy based on something that seems very thin and might not be true. Well, I'm not sure if there's a huge change in policy, but um, the fact that they can miniaturize nuclear weapons, it's, it's been out there as sort of something that they can do, North Koreans can do, and we have... Or that they're aiming at or that yeah. they have already done? Well, we don't know. I mean, I have not seen the classified reporting, but they could. And if, if not now, they will get there very soon. Okay. Um, and they probably on a short range or medium range, I, I doubt right now that they can put it on intercontinental ballistic missile. Mm -hmm. uh, so that needs to be clear. But the concern is correct in that they will get there, if not now, and when you say they can put it on a short-range or medium-range missile, my, I don't know these things, but my understanding of that is that there's one thing to get the nuclear weapon down to a specific size, but you have to make it incredibly durable right. to make it last all the way to impact on an intercontinental ballistic missile. That goes into the upper atmosphere, has to yes. survive a reentry and all that stuff. Yes. And so that's just a, that's an order of magnitude different. Right. But right now, is it widely believed that they could put it on a short or medium range? Is it... Is it seem conceivable, given it's the intelligence? conceivable in a short range, medium range. And that means that South Korea and Japan are already under nuclear threat. Under existing, as far yes. as we guess, existing nuclear threat yes. from North Korea. Yes. And so maybe there's a new intelligence finding in the United States that they've further miniaturized it or maybe, maybe somehow hardened this device that they could start linking up their ICBM capacity and their nuclear capacity but that's a marginal increase right. in their that's ability. Right. That's why I don't understand all the hysteria, because the fact is they probably already have, they have nuclear weapons that can target South Korea and Japan. Okay. When you see the president and the secretary mm -hmm. of state and White House advisors and the secretary of defense, all these different people saying very different things in terms of what they expect from North Korean behavior, yeah. is that actually, is it, it's sort of comedic. Is it dangerous? Very dangerous because I think I'm um, just speaks to incoherence and policy dysfunction that's coming out of the Trump administration. Because you know, crisis like this, you need to send a very clear, unified message. And all these competing, conflicting, and frankly confusing messages is only going to make the crisis worse. Why? Because, Why it make it worse? because it's going to lead to miscalculation and misunderstanding by the North Korean leader. So imagine if Kim Jong Un thinks there's going to be an attack coming his way when there isn't. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to lead him to maybe preemptively attack us. So I just think this really heightens the risk for a conflict where we're going to blunder into a conflict or a war that nobody wants. 
how well do they understand American politics and American personal They don't understand. We can barely understand what's going on. How can North Koreans understand what's going on? And by the way, um, you know, Senator Graham recently said something about, uh, you know, how Mr. Trump told him that maybe if the thousands are going to die, thousands are going to die over there and not over here. This is deeply... Troubling uh, because it, it's what is it saying? Is South Korean lives, are South Korean lives and Japanese lives expendable? Right, and by the way, we do have 300,000 Americans living in South Korea and Japan. So very Terry, Dr. Terry, um, thank you so much for being here. I, I feel like I, I, I ask you to come in always on very, very bad days. But thank you for helping thank us you. understand. Thank I really appreciate me. it. All right, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching MSNBC on YouTube. If you want to keep up to date with the videos we're putting out, you can click subscribe just below me. Toward what beliefs did Isaac Newton gravitate? The answer is next on today's Creation Moment. Here's our Creation Moments host, Ian Taylor. If Isaac Newton or someone else had never made the discoveries which Newton made, our world would be a very different place today. He is one of the most important scientists in all of history. What many people don't know is that this great scientist was a creationist. He actually wrote more Bible commentaries than he did scientific papers. Newton is best known for his discovery of the law of universal gravitation and the three laws of motion. Newton also built the first reflecting telescope, and he developed calculus into the branch of mathematics that it is today. He also researched the nature of light and explained how white light is made up of the many different colors. Newton was an avid student of the Bible and wrote papers defending Bishop Usher's dating of the age of the earth at about 6,000 years. He also defended the six-day creation. Although Newton did not personally accept the doctrine of the Trinity, he did take on the atheists of his day, offering strong defenses for the biblical view of history. He was one of the first creation scientists to suggest that most of the sedimentary rocks of the earth are the result of the Genesis flood. Next time you hear someone say that science and the Bible don't mix, just think of Sir Isaac Newton. For a printed transcript of today's program, visit our website at creationmoments.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-42-BIBLE. That's 1-800-422-4253. And be sure to join us next time for another Creation Moment, proclaiming evidence of God's truth. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Now, this is the Nation Talk. Are not necessarily views or talk show, jam radio production, com and its sponsor. This is Nation Talk on Talk Show and Jam Radio.
going to be reading a letter from William, Reverend William Barber, his letter to the clergy, a blank on blank news of the week, and a hail and farewell to Glenn Campbell. But first, let's, let's listen to Bishop Campbell on a interview on Real Time with Bill Mars. Speaking with the one and only George Takei. But first up, he is the president of the North Carolina State Conference of the NAACP and convener of the Forward Together movement, the Reverend Dr. William Barber II. Reverend Dr. How are you, sir? Great to have you here. Thank you. Glad to Good to here. see you. Okay. So, you know, I told somebody you were on, and they said, the Morals Mondays guy. Oh, so look you. at that. You're blowing up. That's people people know your, your moniker there. You're the Moral Mondays That's guy. what I am, the Moral Mondays guy, the MMG. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell folks who don't know what that is, what is the Moral Mondays guy? You know it has to do with what's going on in North Carolina, your state, where the Republicans have kind of hijacked it. Well, we, we have this moral crisis in our state. It's, it's also a country. But if you look at North Carolina, you, you've got Berger, Tillis, McCorry, and Art Pope. When they came into office, they kind of went on... Um, Who are they? They're the well. You got Berger is the Senate leader. Um, okay. Speaker so Tillis these are the Republican the, the, bad guys, right? And we call them extremists because they will tell you why. What they did is they decided in a state that says you should use politics for the good of the whole. As soon as they got in office, they said let's deny, let's right. deny public school teachers, let's deny public education money, let's deny Medicaid for five hundred thousand people, let's deny. 900,000 people earned income tax credit, which makes Ronald Reagan look like a liberal because even he supported earned income tax credit. Less than 970,000 people unemployed. Less than now workers' rights and LGBT rights and women's rights. And then after we finish that, if we really want a greater North Carolina, they said let's pass the worst voter suppression bill in, since Jim Crow. Yeah, they seem to work backwards from who doesn't vote for us. Hmm, let's see how we can fuck them. Well, that seems to be the. Sorry to say that. Well, that's, that's right. That's right. I know you. I, I know you're. A, you're a, that's why I'm here. You're a, you're a reverend. That's right. You're a doctor and you're a convener. That's right. Well, All of that together. I, I mean, uh, what's a convener? Well, well, what it means is the Mall Monday movement is is a state-based, homegrown-led coalition of people. We have people together, people of faith, people not of faith, Democrats, Republicans. That's what a convener is. It pulls all those together and say, listen, we have commonality. Uh, this agenda is immoral right. because it is hurting people. Right. We want an agenda that's that's about dealing with poverty. That's about educational equality. So, so it's Moral Mondays. That's right. And, uh, this sounds like it could be a TV show. I mean, uh, that is well, a great for day. 64 weeks. But, 64 straight weeks. But Monday is a great day to get people to be moral because there's not anything going on that day anyway. Except, except, so like, except like in North Carolina, it's the General like Assembly. Oh, it's on Monday. It's the perfect day to be moral. But on Monday, it's low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit, Reverend. But on Monday, it's when the General Assembly convenes. And so for, for weeks, oh, we see. went there right. to challenge them every week, week after week after week, because the policies that they're passing, Bill, are killing people. I right. Can tell literally you, killing literally, people. Literally. Literally. Well, and that's not just North Carolina. I mean, right. one of the things in Obamacare, of course, right. is the Medicaid expansion. Exactly. That the federal government is going to pick right. up the whole tab right. for the health care for poor folks. Exactly. So there's really no 
module reading for Republican governors to refuse is not costing their states anything, and yet so many of them do, and I'm sure in North Carolina people have literally died. Well, what we have is when these extremists take over, deny Medicaid, there are 500,000 people in North Carolina that that would have received it, 1.6 million poor people. Crystal, a young lady, did a sit-in in Speaker Tillis' office. She has cervical cancer and would be able, she's a fast food worker, to get Medicaid expansion, but she's been denied. Mayor Ad O'Neill, a Republican, is taking on Tillis, Berger, McCory as a Republican, saying it makes no sense to deny Medicaid because in his city of Bellhaven, they closed the hospital because of denial of Medicaid expansion, and people, one lady has already died, and Mayor O'Neill is walking 273 miles to Washington, D.C., to say, come on, this is just ridiculous to hurt people. It's almost like they have a premeditated uh, kind of policy to just see how many well, people can we hurt, how many people can we deny what you, you, I'm sure you saw all those old movies from the 60s, you know, with Sidney Poitier in the South, and the Southern Sheriff always says, I don't like your kind. That's right. That's really what it is. They don't like well, your kind. Well, uh, and I don't mean just black. Oh, no. I mean poor people, right. women, you know, gays, they, they got their kind, and they don't like your kind. But, you know, I travel in the South a lot. I was in North Carolina. I heard. Uh, oh. You didn't call me. <laughs> I you better not have been there on a Monday. No, no, I was not. Okay. <laughs> I was in Greensboro playing the show. So I, as always, I love I love the South. I play a, a, the South an awful lot. There's a lot of liberals in the South. The South has a lot of potential. In the cities, I think That's people, what don't, people don't know this in other places. The cities in the South. You would never know you were in the South. They're like anywhere. Now, of course, if you get outside the city, well, it's, uh, you know. But let me tell you what we've been able to do. We've been able to organize in Mitchell County. Mitchell County is 89% white, 89, 89% Republican, 99% white. We have more there. We have a new right. branch. In the, because when you show people that this extreme agenda hurts everybody, that's, that's the moral uh, uh, critique. It hurts everybody when you cut health care. It hurts everybody when you deny public education. It hurts everybody. Right. We've had a Republican teacher, nine generations, come to Amaro Monday and say that the policies that this current uh, extreme government in North Carolina is pushing around public education is just wrong. She used the word stupid. So we've been able to see people come together, and that's what they're afraid of, that we're in the third Reconstruction Bill, I really believe. You know, first Reconstruction, 1860s, work. Then there was this backlash called the Redemption of All Names Movement to take back America. 1960s, second Reconstruction. Then there was the white Southern strategy. But the demographics are shifting in the South. People are starting to see the intersectionality of our issues. The Tea Party still says, I want my country back. That's right. Well, that's, that's where that philosophy comes from. And so right. they're afraid of this but, new break loose. And all Monday represents kind of that new, new coming together. But I saw this week, because there's a controversy in Mississippi oh, yeah. about that Cochran, you know, that's winning right. that election. Uh, they did a poll of Republican voters mm-hmm. in the South, mm-hmm. and 37 percent mm-hmm. said that if there was a civil war today, they would join the Confederate side. Right, right. And 8 percent of what? Do you see that as a challenge? I see that. Well, well thank God it's not 63 <laughs> percent. I mean, right. you, you have to flip it over sometimes. And so what I see is you always will have this immoral deconstruction reactionary type. Right. But we have to keep pressing forward, and that's why the Forward Together movement, that's what the name Forward Together, we can find a way for Democrats, Republicans, liberals, people of faith, people not of faith, gay, straight, to all come together. In February, 80,000 people showed up in Raleigh in the dead of winter of all different races, right. creeds, and sexualities, saying, we do not want this extreme, regressive, backwards agenda. We want higher ground, and we want to move forward.
great luck with Moral Mondays. Please join me for Philandering Friday. <laughs> the Reverend Barber. Great Thank job. You so much. Thank you, Thank sir. You. All right, let's Thank meet you. our panel. All right, yeah, that was Reverend William, Reverend Dr. William Barber II. He is uh, president of the North Carolina NAACP. Uh, I read up. Uh, I read up on this on thinkprogress.org. Um, I think I am. I am registered with them. I believe I'm registered with so many, with so many <laughs> websites that I can't remember all of them. But anyway. This letter that he, this was an open letter to clergy who prayed with Donald Trump. Scripture cautions us to lay hands on no man, certainly lest we become a party to his sin. And the letter starts off like this. Dear Reverend Jack Graham, Johnny Moore, Greg Laurie, Paul White, Franklin Graham, Jerry Forwell Jr., and others. I write you with a heavy heart as a fellow Christian and a, and a fellow preacher during a trying time in our nation's public life. Last week, Capitol Hill police arrested me along with other clergy and people with health insurance outside Senate Leader Mitch McConnell's office for doing what you and I do every week in our pulpits, over dinner tables, and in the public square, reading the Word of God and attempting to let the Spirit speak its ancient truth through me into the present. While we have, while we may differ on biblical interpretation, we do share a common effort to understand God's word and dis- discern God's will. I have noted your doubtless sincere public statements in recent months that such gospel proclaim in need in America. I listened as President Trump signed his executive order on religious freedom, praising the prophet, the prophetic legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I watch as you applaud, echoing his sentiments and public statements and letters to your supporters and celebrating an administration that is willing to listen to your counsel. Like millions of Americans, I saw the photo that includes several of you praying for President Trump in the Oval Office last week, asking God to give him guidance. The nation needs our prayers. And, no doubt, the President does too. But the Scripture cautions us to lay hands on no man suddenly, lest he become a party of his sins. First Timothy 
25 and 22. We cannot simply P-R-A-Y pray over people while they P-R-E-Y on the poor and vulnerable among us. The teachers of Jesus are clear about caring for the poor and the sick. And we are called to share his message. We cannot simply serve as chaplains to the imperial power. If we pray for a person engaged in injustice, we must offer prayers that lead to conviction, not prayers that further embolden them in their wrongdoing. And since faith comes by hearing, we must speak prophetically and truthfully to them about using political power to inflict public pain. If they refuse to listen, we must put legs on our prayers and demand that those leaders attend instead to the weightier matters of love, justice, and mercy. Hence, I am troubled by your silence and lack of guidance as the president and his political allies in Congress attempt to deconstruct America's health care system. If Jesus did anything, he offered health care wherever he went. And he never charged a leopard a copay. Like most Americans, I know the Fulbright Care Act is not perfect. In considerable, in considerable measure, this is because over 20 states sabotaged the ACA by refusing to expand Medicaid. Its main shortcoming is that it needs to be transformed into a single-payer system with universal health care for all. However, we address this question taking health care away from millions who certainly have it cannot be answered. We know that for every million people without access to health care, 5,000 people would die needlessly. Not because God called them home, but because those entrusted by God with the responsibility of Governors fail to defend the widow, the orphan, and the poor, and instead succumb to the temptation of greed. Whatever your political philosophy or party affiliation, God's word is clear about the responsibility of governance. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Isaiah 10, 1-3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is right. 
just and right. Rescue from the hands of the obsessor, the one who has been robbed. Do not do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not share innocent blood in their place. Jeremiah 22 and 3. For decades, you have insisted that Christian political agenda is a pro-life agenda. He has taught millions that the image of God is stamped on each of us, no matter the color of our skin or the money in our bank account, and that each and every child God was knit together in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet, in the moment of crisis, when our poorest and most vulnerable neighbors are at risk, you say so little. You have been so so loud in the past. What spirit has silent you in the moment of truth of the ethic of life? I ask your Lord and mine this question. As I was jailed last week for preaching the gospel for that that very life is precious to God, I had to ask, where are my fellow evangelists now? And I heard the prophet Amos echoing through the valley of history, for I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in, in the courts. Amos 5 and 12. The pay, the pay that you held Pay you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James 5 and 4. I remember what Frederick Douglass said about our faith after our denominations splintered over the moral question of slavery and the nation stood on the brink of civil war, quote, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the wittiest possible differences. My brothers and sisters, I do, I do not single you or because your position is unique. You inherit a heresy, and you are not alone in perpetrating its cruel errors. But in our present crisis, you have publicly 
embarrass a president and a party that embody the abuses of power that the biblical prophets decry. Millions of people have been led to, to astray of your era, and the whole world is now reaping the consequences. I sing you I single you out because the people I know and severe literally cannot afford the cost of your willful blindness. He continues, uh, Dr. Barber continues, I penned this letter as a, as a stand in support of other group of clergy called to nonviolent direct action against the cruel attempt to withdraw health care from the poor and others. I also write to you in faith and in love because I know that that redemption is possible. We all raise our voices and sing the words penned by the reformed slave trader. I, I was once, I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. I have watched the sons of the sons and daughters of slaveholders work along work alongside the alongside the daughters and sons of enslaved people to build a new and vibrant moral movement. I pray with people who decide to follow Jesus when they heard you preach years ago. But are but are you now following Jesus to jail? because they know this is what faithfulness requires. I write because you have celebrated your unprecedented influence in this administration and the time has come to use it. In prayer and hope, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II, Senior Pastor of Greenleaf Christian Church, Disciple of Christ, President of repairs of the breach. And that's the letter from Dr. Barber uh, to the clergy, the ones who prayed for the president at the time. Here is um those of you who were listening, this is Nation Talk. We've been talking about North Korea. I just read to you uh, a letter from Reverend Doctor William Barber the second, his letter to the to the to the clergy. Also during this hour we have blank on blank news of the week and a hell and farewell to Glenn Campbell. coming up during this hour. Here is Reverend William Barber on North Carolina's anti-LGBT law. This is in his own words. 
North Carolina made headlines this week for enacting one of the country's most draconian anti-LGBT laws. Now, most of the outcry has been surrounding the effect of the legislation on the LGBT community. But the law is so severe that it states that, most, that the state's most prominent newspaper, the Charlotte Observer, has compared Governor Pat McCrory to the likes of George Wallace, Orville Faubus, and Ross Barnett, all Southern governors known for their support for segregation. But there are also concerns being raised about other aspects of the law that can have significant negative effects on wages and employment for everyone living in North Carolina. Now, yesterday I spoke with Reverend William Barber, president of the North Carolina NAACP and the author of The Third Reconstruction, Moral Mondays, Fusion Politics, and the Rise of a New Justice Movement about this very issue. Last week, uh, during Holy Week, when we ought to be focusing on love, justice, and mercy, uh, our legislature, under the false guise of evangelical moral, morality, and conservatism, passed a bill that is laced with racism, discrimination, uh, and classism. Let me tell you, what your audience, what we don't know, what people don't know. This bill now makes it illegal for a city or county to require contractors to pay more than a minimum wage. And to, and, and to require that people who contract with them also give certain kinds of benefits, i.e. sick leave and other things, to their workers. Secondly, this bill also makes it, uh, nullifies the ability for a citizen based on age, based on sex, based on handicap, disability, race, or, 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 or color to bring a deployment discrimination case in state court in state court. And this law also uh, takes away uh, that, that ability. And so what it means is in North Carolina now, you can no longer bring an employment discrimination case in state court. You have to go to federal court, which means it's harder for working poor people. Uh, they can't file in the courthouse in their county. This bill is, the, is a form of fear and Jim Crowism. It's really the, the negative side of fusion politics. They use the transgender, that's bad enough, and the LGBT community, but then they slipped in these attacks.
working poor, the disabled, uh, uh, women, uh, people of color. It is just bad and unholy and un immoral what they've done with this bill. And just to, to, to re-rack that for folks, I want to put that graphic back up, if we could, please, to the producers. Um, the, the three additional provisions, in addition to going after transgender people, ability to go to the public restroom, it prevents any local government from on its own enacting its own minimum wage for itself, so they cannot enact a minimum wage in their city, not for the whole state, and local governments cannot require contractors mm -hmm. to have certain employment practices like a higher minimum wage or paid sick leave, so it prevents mm -hmm. paid sick leave, and it prevents lawsuits. Individuals can no longer sue over employment or public accommodation discrimination. That's extraordinary, Reverend Barber. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, a law like that passed? Um, has anything like that ever been enacted You have to, you have to go back to Jim Crow days. I mean, you have to. But it's an old tactic. It's the white southern strategy in, where you use fear, you use racism and homophobia, or homophobia in this case, but then underneath the law, and then you call people, cause people to vote against their own self-interest. Joy. Even if you are discriminated based on religion, they've now nullified the ability for you to file a, a state uh, discrimination case. Now, one of the things that concerns us, and this is where we're going to have to learn in some of us in the so-called progressive community, the business community is an uproar about the attack on the LGBT transgender, and we are too, and you should be. But we should have been an uproar when this legislature passed the worst voter suppression law and the worst redistricting law because that's what allowed these legislators to get in office in the first place that are now passing these attacks on the LGBT community, on sick people, on voting rights, on the unemployed. We have to understand how this all connects. It is, it is sinister. It is shrewd on their behalf. And we have to become very wise in the way in which we talk about this. So this is, the, this is a bad bill for the LGBT transgender community. It's a racist bill. It's full of classism. It's discriminatory. Uh, we ought to be resisting it legally. We ought to be resisting it electorally. And we ought to be resisting it through civil disobedience. And by the way, your political civil disobedience, I think counties should go ahead and pass bills to raise the minimum wage and force the state to take them to court. Yeah, because this is bad law. This is bad law. And it's bad. And, and we need to recognize it because if it's happening here in North Carolina, the goal is to use this as a place, just like they did the voter suppression, to see if they can spread it around the country. One note, an update on some of the companies that have publicly opposed the new North Carolina law. They include Comcast and NBC Universal, our parent companies. And thank you to Reverend William Barber. We'll be keeping a close eye on this story in the coming weeks. Well, they should talk right after this. All right. This next question is for Caroline. 
Caroline, if you take the bus 60 miles to school at 5.30 a.m. and the bus is traveling at an average of 30 miles per hour, how are you going to get to your prenatal appointment and still make it to homeroom on time? Some students are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But you can give them the boost they need to make it through by visiting BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
segment, Blank on Blank. This special segment is presented by PBS Digital Studios with lost interviews of famous artists, etc. that you got inside NASA 
Well, what kind of thing happened to you? Really, the only bad moments in our training involved the press. The press was an added pressure on the flight for me, and whereas NASA appeared to be very enlightened about flying women astronauts, the press didn't appear to be. The things that they were concerned with were not the same things that I was concerned with. There was the bathroom facilities. Bathroom facilities. How much did you get asked that? Just about every interview I got asked that. Everybody wanted to know about what kind of makeup I was taking up. They didn't care about how well prepared I was to operate the arm or deploy communication satellites. Did uh, NASA try to prepare you for the press and the pressure? Unfortunately, no, they don't. You know, in my case, they took a graduate student in physics who had spent her life in the basement of a physics department with oscilloscopes and suddenly put me in front of the press. What do you suppose are the dumbest kinds of questions you've been asked to date? Without a doubt, I think the worst question that I have gotten was whether I cried when we got malfunctions in the simulator. (laughs) (laughs) That surpassed even the one about whether you're going to wear a bra or not. Did somebody really ask you that? No. The press, I think, decided that that was a good question for someone to have asked me and for me to have answered, but I never got that question. And they made you up quite a good response. Something about in a state of weightlessness, it doesn't matter. They made up this whole thing? Something like that. Yeah, I was never asked that question. What about your feelings during the launch? Was there any time that the enormity of what was going on came over you? The moment of the launch, when the engines actually ignited and the solid rockets lit, everyone on the crew was, for a few seconds, just overcome with what was about to happen to us. But a year of training is a long time, and a year of sitting in simulators and being told exactly what's going to happen, and you hear the sounds and you feel the vibrations, and they prepare you very well, and it, it worked. We were able to overcome being overcome and do the things that we were supposed to do. Just watching there at the launch, there were people with tears streaming down their faces, people I never would have expected. And yet they were all very moved by, I guess, the human audacity of it. I think that to imagine when you see the the long trail of flame and then imagine that there are really people (laughs) inside that, that's really something. Inside, of course, you don't see the long trail of flame, and what you're feeling is is really more of an exhilaration. Well, there are lots of people looking up there feeling proud, not only of you up there, but also on the ground. Thank you. Thank you. This special episode of Blank on Blank is made possible by Squarespace. Squarespace is an easy way to create a website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com forward slash blank on blank for a special offer. What do you think it might be like in uh, 2001, in fact? What's possible for us? Well, 2001 is a long ways in the future to speculate on. But probably the next step after the space shuttle is going to be a space station. I would foresee a space station as being not just something that is orbiting the Earth and used for experimentation or or whatever, but would also be used as a launching platform back to the moon or to Mars. Mm -hmm. And I think that both of those are inevitable. I'm sure we'll go back to the moon. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we send people to Mars. But do you have any speculation about uh, how how long it might be, perhaps? 
before there are such things as peopled uh, space colonies. I'd guess that probably by the year 2000 there will be. I think that we'll have a space station up by the end of this decade. On which it would be possible to live for long periods of time. Yes. You have been listening. This episode was also supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information on Sloan at sloan.org. You have been listening to Blank on Blank, a special segment presented by PBS Digital Studios. Tonight's episode was on astronaut Sally Ryan. Let's go to the phones and see Todd Morris. Hello, Todd Morris. Hello, Todd Morris. Welcome to Nation Talk. Hello? Okay. All right, just listen. All right. All right. Time now. Once again, for our news of the week. All right, hold up. <laughs> All right, time now for our news of the week. There you go. You're listening to the jam. All right. Uh, real news week twenty eight. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Kaylee McEnany. Thank you for joining us as we provide you the news of the week from Trump Tower here in New York. More great economic news on Friday. The July jobs report added a better than expected 209,000 jobs. Overall, since the president took office, President Trump has created more than 1 million jobs. The unemployment rate is at a 16-year low and consumer confidence is at a 16-year high, all while the Dow Jones continues to break records. President Trump has clearly steered the economy back in the right direction. On Wednesday, the president introduced the RAISE Act. For decades, a steady rise in immigration has depressed the wages of American workers. The RAISE Act will increase wages, decrease poverty, and save the taxpayers billions. Americans deserve a raise, and President Trump is finally putting the American worker first. Also on Wednesday, President Trump awarded Medal of Honor to one of our Vietnam War heroes, Specialist 5 James McLuhan. McLuhan risked his life on nine separate occasions, saving many of his wounded peers. President Trump also honored veterans as a whole with yet another VA reform package that will enable millions of veterans to receive better access to care. President Trump is dedicated to honoring these men and women who fought valiantly for our country and ensuring that they receive the care that they deserve. Thank you for joining us, everybody. I'm Kaylee McEnany, and that is The Real News. Nation Talk continues. When we come back, a hail and farewell to Glenn Campbell. 
Wow, yeah, since the storm, it's been crazy busy for us. We got all kinds of office desks coming in. Now, here's a, here's a fancy one right here. It's missing a leg, but that's all right. Whatever. Washers and dryers from a laundromat. Oh, wow, check this out. Another deep fryer. And I'm not sure what this doohickey is. Yeah, most businesses weren't ready for a storm like that, you know. But our work's really piling up here at Roberts and Son Salvage. What will become of your business after a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency. And 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Views of the Nation Talk are not, are not necessarily views of TalkShoe, Generating Productions, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Well, Glenn Campbell was special because he was so gifted. Glenn is one of the greatest voices that ever was in the business, and he was one of the greatest musicians. He was a wonderful session musician as well. A lot of people don't realize that, but he could play anything, and he could play it really well. So he was just extremely talented. Glenn Campbell is such an incredible talent. Uh, Glenn Campbell filled a niche in... American music that very few people have ever reached. He was considered both pop and country, and not just one record or one little phase of his career, but years and years and years of his career. He represented the best of the pop and the country, and he went that kind of middle ground, and he pulled people in from both sides. He was a great thing for country music and a great thing for pop music. He was an incredibly talented guitar player. And a lot of people have heard Glenn Campbell's playing that don't even realize he was a studio musician in Los Angeles for a lot of years. And he did a lot of of, of work with a lot of artists that we're all very familiar with. But he was a great, had a great God-given talent. Uh, We've seen him host television shows. He plays great guitar. And he sings great. And he entertains. So... Glenn Campbell's one of the most unique people that's come along in the music business in my lifetime. For 40 years, it was his signature song. 
though he never learned to read music, his rich tenor voice and his extraordinary gift as a guitarist led to more than 70 albums and a staggering 21 top 40 hits. Born dirt poor during the Depression to a sharecropping family in rural Arkansas, he was one of 12 kids. It keeps you ever gentle on my His personal path was not always so gentle. He battled alcohol and cocaine addictions and was married four times. But he kept on singing. Who is that? It's you, honey. In 2011, he received devastating news. This indicates that an he had Alzheimer's disease. But despite the memory loss, he made a brave decision. Oh, I ain't, I ain't done yet. Yeah, <laughs> tell him that. To go on tour as planned, hitting the road for a 151 stop farewell tour with three of his six kids. Who are these people up here? <laughs> oh, yeah, there they are. The resulting documentary, an intimate portrait of the toll the disease takes. I'm still here, but yet I'm gone. The film's song, Not Going to Miss You, was nominated for an Oscar. His final public appearance was our visit. His disease had reached stage six. Stage seven is the end of the road. But even still, the music was in the man. As we had seen a few years earlier, when he was honored with a Grammy for Lifetime Achievement. He brought the crowd to its feet, a celebration of his music and his courage. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News, New York. Hey, NBC. And we will. He will be missed tremendously. All right, Todd, you have. About four minutes. Now recognize you. I recognize you. All right. Yes. Hello. What's on your mind? Yes. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that you call. And uh, well, we're we're on as usual on Sunday nights. A variety of topics. You missed some good ones. <laughs> Miss a good topic. Oh. Well, you you did catch the, the Glen Campbell. Are, are are you a Glen Campbell fan? Not really. Not no. really. I'm more of a more of a Willie Nelson kind of guy. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. I used to watch him on. I used to watch him on TV when he he does variety show. On. Um, oh really. CBS back in the seventies. Oh wow! Oh yeah, um, it was more like um, a summer replacement show. On oh, I see. On during that time, I think he went on and did the varieties until for a while. Then he stopped doing them. The variety shows for a while, he stopped doing them. But uh, yes, sir. he. He's been around a long time. I'm surprised he lasts this long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, every time I hear of another Willie Nelson concert, it's like, oh, my God, he's still still, still kicking. <laughs> still and, kicking. Oh, yeah. I guess, the weed is, I guess the weed's doing him some good. <laughs> it, I ain't going to say anything about that one. I ain't gonna touch that one. Oh, I've, I've 
I've I will touch on it. It's yes, one one blood a day will keep the doctor away. Yes, sir. Especially now that's legal. In some places, it's it's legal. Not here in in the boonies where I'm at, but uh, uh, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna catch me having a blunt way out here. <laughs> Right. No one's gonna care, really. Yeah. Well, I'm going to. I'm like, you know what, folks? I'm gonna end the show with a Glenn oh. Campbell song. Well, you're gonna end the show. I just got here. Well, yeah. I I'm off from eight to ten. Oh, eight to ten. Yes. yes. You're one of the early birds. Yeah. I. Yes, sir. I. I try to do it on uh, eight. To, I do this eight to ten on Sundays. Oh, okay. Good deal. Good deal. Okay. Well, I do appreciate uh, you allowing me to be on here just a little time with you. And if you don't mind, I'd like to stick around and listen to that that lovely Glenn Campbell tune. To uh, oh, sure, sure. Oh yeah. Hold on, folks. Well, as I said, today has been an interesting night. It has been. It has been great. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to uh, Todd Morris. All of you popped in and out. <laughs> Thanks for all of you very much. The views, opinions, and nation talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe. Jim, Radio Productions, and the sponsors. This has been Nation Talk, a public affairs and news program that airs Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to, to join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on TalkShoe and Jam Radio. Nation Talk is, is produced by Jam Radio Productions Presentation. We're going to go out with his most famous classic in his signature song, Limestone Cowboy. Till then, good night. Of the game.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.